Late Night Conversations Late Night Conversations Monday to Thursday 10pm till midnight Late Night Conversations We are speaking at the issues of climate change and their effects on our economy and the effects on our uh, environment and to speak to us about this we've gone to Dr. Chris Trissos, the Senior Researcher uh, African Climate and Development Initiative at the University of Cape Town Thank you very much for joining us Dr. Chris Trissos. Hi Patricia, thank you for having me on your show. Now let's talk about the the impact of climate change and also what it has caused in terms of the abrupt biodiversity losses in this current century. Uh, sure. So climate change is one of the leading threats to biodiversity this century and other threats are pollution and also changes in land use, for example, deforestation. But climate change is right up there in the top five threats to biodiversity, and it's expected to increase in the severity of the threat throughout the century as the climate continues to warm. Um, there's already evidence of climate change causing local collapses or extinctions within ecosystems. A really prominent example of this is coral reefs in tropical regions. In Australia, the Great Barrier Reef, but also reefs in parts of the Caribbean and Indonesia, where marine heat waves have led to sudden die-offs in coral species that can't handle the heat. Hmm. Now, in terms of uh, biodiversity, for those who might be asking themselves, you talk about various ecosystems and you also talk about biodiversity. Could you maybe um, uh, define it for us so that all our listeners are in the loop as to what we are talking about here and the impact of it? Of course. So biodiversity, as I'm talking about it, is the diversity of life, and that can include genetic diversity. It can include a diversity of species. So, for example, all the many different species of plants and mammals and fish and invertebrates like insects that live in a particular place, for example, in Cape Town here in the Table Mountain National Park. Um, But it can also include a diversity of ecosystems. So within South Africa, the diversity we have from the Feinbos to savannah to grasslands to forest ecosystems. And this diversity of systems is really important because it provides us with essential services. For example, having diverse forests in some places is linked to improved water quality that flows out of the rivers from those forests. And these are vital services that this diversity provides to us as people and that we often don't have to pay for directly. For example, here in the Cape Town area, having healthy river catchments in mountain areas that are not invaded by species of wattle or pine, for example, increases the water yield that we get as a city and where Cape Town is experiencing drought that has been linked to climate change. It's important to have these healthy, biodiverse river catchments so that we can have plentiful and clean water into the future. A couple of years ago, climate change uh, was uh, the, the top topic. Even last year, I mean, when we saw the forests in uh, Brazil being uh, burnt out, it was a top topic. Right now, it is one of those topics or one of those issues that's really not be, been given um, the microscopic uh, view as it should be given. Um, why is this? I think a, a big reason for that is the the COVID-19 
emergency that we are all living through. And that's a very immediate threat. And climate change for a lot of people can often feel quite far off. Maybe it's even a problem that we think that's something for our children or our grandchildren. And in the current moment, um, many climate change conferences or even government negotiations about reducing greenhouse gas emissions to prevent future climate change have been put off as a result of the COVID-19 response. So one of the big climate negotiations that was um, due to happen at the end of this year has been postponed into 2021. And so I think it's really a large part of it is the, the COVID-19 pandemic dominating the news. But climate change is not going away. And they've been as the, a, a compounding effect, for example, with the COVID-19 pandemic is um, we're starting to see around the world how climate change or at least climate impacts are intersecting with the COVID-19 pandemic. For example, in the Midwestern United States, where there's been flooding from increased rainfall and people are in lockdown or stay-at-home orders there, and they're being asked to socially distance, but at the same time, they're having to evacuate their houses. And so you have this compounding of the risk where on top of COVID-19, you've still got climate change hazards playing out. And so the future often looks increasingly risky if we don't prevent future climate change because it interacts with all these other risks we have going on in the world and it can often make them much worse. Now, how do we then uh, minimize the effect of climate change and ensure that despite the fact that we've got this uh, huge pandemic globally, we are still giving as much attention as needed to um, global warming or climate change? Yes, I think the two, two major kind of categories that solutions fall into is mitigation, which is reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And so that's primarily things like switching from fossil fuels or coal-powered electricity to renewable energy, such as solar and wind power. That's a huge part of the solution. Another um, category of solutions is adaptation. So that's there's an amount of climate change we're already committed to that we're currently experiencing. For example, in South Africa, um, things, hazards like the Cape Town drought. And so a, a important thing, especially for many African countries that are vulnerable to climate change impact, is investing in adaptation. So looking to the future and thinking, under a particular amount of global warming, what threats do we face? And how can we invest in making ourselves more resilient to those threats? So a good example in the Cape Town context is protecting biodiversity in river catchments to improve water yields under future climate change. Another example could be changing agricultural practices, for example, more conservation-focused agriculture that helps store carbon dioxide in soil to reduce future climate change and improve crop yields. Dr. Trisos, it seems like there hasn't been enough education done on the ground, especially in Africa, regarding uh, the impact of climate change. And when you talk about these sort of investments, shouldn't the investments perhaps start at a point where the education on a ground level is done, and then we move up to um, implementing these um, measures that are going to minimize climate change? I think it, it, it requires, yes, many adaptation actions especially, should be, well, are often effective when they're very local and pay attention to people's local context, their livelihoods, how they make a living, cultural practices, local understanding of environment and social context. So that's definitely true. They also, though, require a lot of 
coordinated action at provincial and national government and even global levels. For example, modifying the way investments are allocated in global energy systems. A lot of that links to incentives in global financial markets or regulations that other countries make that then affect the way investment is conducted in South Africa. So I think it really requires both concerted local action, um, particular adaptation options. Often local communities have been relying on their immediate natural environment. For example, in in many parts of Africa, people use fuel wood a lot for cooking because they don't have reliable electricity. And so particular adaptation actions that help electrify those homes with renewable energies are this real contribution from both national government in energy investment and also local people changing behaviours. So it has to be right the way through the whole system. So it, it should be an approach that is taken globally and holistically from the ground all the way up, included even in our education system. Um, now I've got a WhatsApp here and before we go to it, I'd like to remind everyone that they can weigh in on the conversation by sending us WhatsApp on uh, 0614-104-107 or calling us on 891 or 011-714-4045. We are speaking to Dr. Chris Trissos, who is the Senior Researcher African Climate and Development Initiative at the University of Cape Town. Now, moving to the WhatsApp, I see um, the listener says, which industries are contributing more to greenhouse gas emissions? Uh, that's a good question. In South Africa, a major contributor is our coal-fired electricity generation. Um Another major contributor globally is um, the agricultural sector. So deforestation in places like Brazil that is linked to the expansion of soy farming to feed cattle. And other large contributors are aspects of our transport systems. So um, using fossil fuel transport as opposed to electrifying transport that could then be powered through renewable energy. Those are, are some of the major sectors, but there there isn't, in terms of a solution, just doing one thing that will, will work for all. We have to, some people have, have used the phrase, which I quite like to say, there's no silver bullet to the solution. It's more like a silver shotgun where you need to do a whole bunch of solutions to get towards lowering the, the global emissions. So you've got to uh, have renewable energy, you should electrify your transport system, you should improve energy efficiency in buildings is another one, especially in parts of the world where they use a lot of heating. That's not as much in South Africa, but parts of the United States and Europe where there's a lot of energy using heating or cooling buildings. And then um, in the in the farming sector, improved um, farming practices around animal feed or reduced consumption of animal products is also a way to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So I suppose it's a lot of investment in various methods to ensure that we minimize greenhouse emissions and also make sure that climate change is minimized. I'd like us to move to the lines. We've got Sebastian in Cape Town. Sebastian, thank you very much for holding patiently. How are you doing? Fine, thanks. And yourself and uh, good evening to you and your guests. I think there's some other uh, biggies which need to be talked about in the same conversation as climate change because they all interrelate and they would be uh, overpopulation and ever-increasing population numbers in some uh, areas of the world and we are a country that's done nothing to curb population growth which um, is causing us problems. Then there's um, 
overconsumption. The earth is actually consuming much more than it can sustainably produce. So we're eating into the earth's capital every year. And related to this is this ever-increasing demand for or demand for increasing growth. And where does this growth come from if the earth actually cannot sustain growth as it's now happening or the consumption levels that we are now having? I mean, these are topics that need to be brought into this whole conversation as well. I definitely agree with you uh, there, Sebastian. I mean, when you're talking about um, overpopulation in certain areas, I think one of the things that have caused us to be where we are right now with certain areas being overpopulated will be decentralization. People are moving from rural or formerly rural areas to the urban areas, then causing overcrowding there, and then having the rural areas being neglected, the forests being neglected. And uh, like uh, Dr. Chris says, um, it's, it's, a, it's almost like a, a, a blanket approach that we we need to ensue so that we can see ourselves minimizing climate change. Well, there has to be an overall and integrative approach and overpopulation uh, is not just a movement between areas, it's just uh, too many babies coming out for the resources of particular countries, which uh, you know means that some countries will, uh, where there are decrease, uh, where there have been uh, measures to curb population growth, will actually have better lifestyles than others where it's just gone on and bridled. Um, but the overconsumption is, you know, that's uh, and the policies, economic policies pursue, uh, pursued. I mean, that's all in, impacting on the climate. You know, they said to be factors producing the climate change so we have a revolving circle so you have to have a holistic approach that uh, deals with all these matters and uh, you cannot just uh, now say go into a new economy post-covid without uh, taking these factors into account because if we go into economy that's based on the same sort of precepts as before we're just on the same road I can't even say a road to, road to disaster because I think we've actually landed up in the road uh, in in the disaster, although we may not recognise it. But uh, the the seeds have been laid. So I I think Sebastian, thanks for those points. I think um, I I agree with you on the need to think about interconnected and holistic solutions. I think an important point when talking about overconsumption and overpopulation, though, is to talk about inequalities and inequities in the way resources are consumed and distributed globally. So many people in African and South Asian countries, for example, per capita use far fewer resources, including resources that lead to greenhouse gas emissions, compared to consumers in wealthier countries. And so as the world moves towards increased population towards the middle of the century, and challenges around how to feed close to 10 billion people sustainably, a huge part of that conversation is not always looking towards overpopulation, but looking towards systems that in a more just way reallocate resources around the planet to those that need them most. And so I think equity has to, and increasingly in the climate conversation, there's this discussion around a just transition, which is a movement from the the present structure of the system towards one that is both reduced greenhouse gas emissions, but also a more equitable distribution of resources for human well-being to improve around the planet. And a part of that 
although it's definitely not mainstream yet, is this discussion of degrowth. So a focus away from GDP growth and more towards policies that focus on other aspects of human well-being as a major indicator of progress within an economy and a country. So not so much are we growing the economy, but is the economy helping to make us healthy? Is it helping us to have adequate recreation time? Is it helping people to have appropriate mental health and spend time with their families? And sometimes those types of policies don't always prioritize growth as much as our current systems of government do. I mean, when we take a look at uh, the economic impact of um, of, of, of uh, climate change, um, I mean, it would take away from our tourist sector, tourism sector, of which already is crippled uh, due, the pen- to, due to the pandemic and lockdown. But how do we then make sure that the powers that be then implement this big growth type of economy um, so that we are all uh, included in contributing to ensuring that climate change is one of those issues that is looked at as much as our economic growth I think uh, that's a really um, that gets to the heart of the issue and one one convincing um, response I think to people say well economic growth is um, we get richer and when we're wealthier we're more protected against climate impact there are starting to be a lot of very convincing analyses that show how climate change itself impacts future economic growth for example the tropical cyclone um, EDI that hit Mozambique last year will have had an enormous impact on the GDP of that country. And so as we continue to emit greenhouse gases that cause more frequent and severe climate change hazards like droughts, tropical storms, wildfires, these disasters inevitably impact the economic growth trajectories of countries. And so shifting away from that towards renewable energy solutions as one example that allows you to still consume at a high energy level, but also not face the impact of these climate disasters as frequently is really important. Dr. Trusos, I've got a WhatsApp here from one of our listeners. Remember, we are talking uh, science and environment and uh, specifically looking at climate change and um, what the impacts are on uh, biodiversity and also on the economy and our livelihoods at large. The number that you can call us on is 0891104207011714045. Alternatively, send us a WhatsApp on 0614104107. So the WhatsApp we've got here says, uh, ask um which in fact it was going to sebastian and he's already he's already off the line but it says ask sebastian which population growth is you referring to you should never agree with that racially sick comment this is what they did with aids to depopulate us because they feel inconvinced by our um existence in numbers see this is what they do to china to snatch the sickness early where it comes from common um obviously you're not you're not sebastian and unfortunately doctor you can't respond to that but we've got someone else here who's uh, sent us um uh, I, I, w- I would just say quickly though okay, go ahead. i think people who say okay COVID 19 is nature's way of getting back at us and we need to wipe a bunch of people off the planet to have a more kind of sustainable ecosystem i don't agree with that perspective because I think this focus instead on equity and an equitable share of resources and reducing overconsumption in places where people are consuming per capita beyond the Earth's resources 
and ha- instead having a more equitable distribution of resources among the people on the planet is a far kinder and more just way to achieve a more positive and, and sustainable future than to say, well, the solution is to wipe a bunch of people away with diseases or other ways of nature getting back at us. I think we know as society, in many places, we're doing a lot of damage to nature, but also some of the most vulnerable people are the least responsible for that damage. And so having an approach that holds both of those things together and says, okay, how do we both transform to do less damage to the environment while at the same time empowering and protecting those people who are vulnerable to have a better life is the way we need to go. And, you know, if we were to look at that particular WhatsApp, then we'll probably get a, a kickback saying, who are the most vulnerable? Are we looking at it racially? Um, are we saying that, you know, certain race groups are unable to uphold the standards? And and I, all I'm saying is what we are going to do right now is go to a caller and then go to a voice note. However, this this can open up such um, a wide range of conversation about the climate change and the impact of climate change. But at the end of the day, it affects each and every one of us on planet Earth. To the caller, thank you very much, the NPE, for joining us this evening. How are you doing? Lovely, lovely. Can't complain. Excellent. Uh, then let me down anyway. No, no, no. He has not let you down. Trust um, you me. You'll get what you've asked the, the for. For today, <laughs> your guest mentioned solar and did not mention hydro, hydrogen. I remember that at UWS, at, um, UWS Cape Town, they do have a bus powered by hydro, right, and a scooter and so forth. But more importantly, isn't, a, isn't COVID a blessing for climate change? I'll tell you why. That there are no more airplanes, or at least an abundance of them on the air, I think it could have brought time for climate change. Because to me, the most polluters on Earth are definitely um, the aeroplanes, right? Not, not necessarily the trucks. As the good doctor say, doesn't he think that COVID could be a blessing in disguise for some of the effects by climate change? Thank you. Thank you so very much, Ngonde. And uh, quickly after that, I'd like us to go to a voice note. Good evening, Patricia, and your guest. This is Morris from uh, Nelspreit. Uh, my question is this. Uh, what are skills shortages for green jobs? And uh, how can workers capitalize on those, if there are any? Thank you. Very valid question. Um, Dr. Trissos, are there uh, opportunities in terms of um, uh, employment or business within um, the green uh, economy? Uh, yes, definitely. So I think um, to, the, to the first caller, uh, hydropower um, is, is a renewable energy source. It's also one that is vulnerable to future climate change, though. So um, in parts of Africa, especially southern Africa, Zambia, Zimbabwe, um, hydropower is very vulnerable to drought. So we've already seen in since 2015 that there have been power cuts in southern African countries as a result of drought. So in planning hydropower as a major transition away from fossil fuels, you have to be very careful to consider what future drought patterns might look like so you don't leave yourself more vulnerable to climate change disrupting your electricity supply. Um, 
on the aeroplane emissions point, um, transport is an important part of global emissions, but it's not the biggest one. Um, there is research out suggesting that greenhouse gas emissions globally have dropped somewhere in the order of sort of 5 to 7%, I think, 5 to maybe 8% as a result of the lockdowns. Um, of course, that's not the ideal way to get carbon dioxide emissions and greenhouse gas emissions to drop because it also causes a lot of other painful side effects by having people in lockdown. So um, a managed transition to a green economy is better. But I think that the silver lining is post-lockdown as part of economic recoveries, there's a real opportunity for governments, and this, this links that voice note, to invest in greener economic alternatives. So South Africa, for example, might, as part of its economic stimulus, put a lot more effort into transitioning to renewable energies and training people for technology and construction jobs around the renewable energy sector and around aspects of conservation agriculture, as opposed to deciding instead to kind of incentivize um, examples of fossil fuel intensive industries. So for example, in the auto manufacturing industry, we might decide to incentivize transitions towards manufacturing electric vehicles instead of petrol vehicles. And I think within those sectors, there are definitely um, employment opportunities if South Africa or other countries develop strategic advantages um, as centers of manufacturing or technology that are important for this green economy. Something definitely we should be looking at, uh, especially right now when we're under the lockdowns, trying to find new uh, ways of learning new skills and so on. I think it's very, very critical. Let's go into our WhatsApps. And I see here, um, I am very much worried about alien plants uh, growing and destroying our indigenous plants. What worries me most is people in our village in around Guiani are cutting down Mopani trees and leaving out the alien plants. It worries me a lot. And this needs intervention. Or maybe it's time rangers are brought back as in the olden days to the next uh, whatsapp um i sure yeah to the next whatsapp um the listener says here okay god said live and be full like sand on the sea i think it's best to teach people how to live healthy and ways of earning living please don't talk about overpopulation in this time of crisis to avoid the development of negative thoughts any comments on that um, I think first on the, on the alien plants one, um, I can't speak to directly to the context the listener mentioned, but there is definitely um, a lot of debate in climate policy and ecology communities at the moment around the appropriateness of tree planting as a climate change response. So there's a lot of enthusiasm, especially in some European and North American context. Donald Trump, for example, has promoted this. We can have a substantial impact in reducing climate change by planting millions or trillions even of trees to soak up carbon dioxide. And in some contexts, that could well be a good idea. Places, for example, that have been deforested, we might want to reforest them or forests that are degraded, we might want to help restore them. There's also a lot of good research suggesting that places like in South Africa, where we have ancient grasslands that provide us with lots of goods and services like pasture land, 
and that protect essential biodiversity that tourists like to come and see, like the big five, that it would be a bad idea to go and plant pine trees and eucalypts that use a lot of water all over those. And in addition, many of those plantations under future climates might be more vulnerable to wildfires, which would just release the carbon dioxide back to the atmosphere. So that's an example of where tree planting can be bad. So there needs to be this nuanced message of the right trees in the right places. So some places where there was forest or where forest is degraded, we could think about reforesting or restoring that. But in other places in Africa, just going and planting a bunch of new trees in um, ecosystems that aren't naturally forest could be a really maladaptive thing to do. Um, And then, sorry, I I lost the the second question was again about overpopulation. Um, I think just to repeat my my point from earlier that an an equitable response that looks to reallocate resources is is the one that I prefer and I think many African countries are also supportive of. Now, as we close off, uh, Chris, uh, Dr. Chris uh, Trissos, uh, what are your words in just uh, parting um, in encouraging us uh, to uh, keep in mind uh, the very big impact of climate change? I'd say um, it's important in South Africa, but particularly in an African context, to, to recognize that many African countries have contributed some of the least to the climate change problem. Historically, they have not been high greenhouse gas emissions countries, but they stand to lose some of the most, some of the most vulnerable. Um, and so there needs to be this, this really strong focus on adapting to climate change from government level all the way down to household level in an, in an African and South African context. I'd also say that conversations around climate change can often tend towards the worst case scenario. And I think... Sometimes that's for good reason. These risks are serious and they could, they are already coming true within our lifetimes. But at the same time, we have huge opportunity, especially within the next few years to a decade, to make decisions about transitioning to renewable energy and to low carbon lifestyles, like we've been talking about on this call, that could really change that future for the better. So every year counts, every action counts, Every time you get a chance to interact with people in policy or decision-maker positions, emphasizing the importance of low-carbon technologies and economies can really make a difference and still help us save thousands of species and help millions of people have a better life. Thank you so very much, uh, Dr. Chris Trissos. It's been such a great pleasure having you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show. As I close off with this particular topic, uh, Tsumbezo uh, from Mpofu was saying he is part of a team at South African Environmental Observation Network that has put together a learner training manual of SA biomes with spe- uh, special focus on biomes and climate change. And then he says a best example of climate change is the effect of the 2014-2016 drought on Kruger National Park and the wildlife tourism sector as a whole. Thank you very much, Tsumbezo. SAFM leading the conversation.